You're listening to the Morrowology Podcast. It's all about Morrow County, Ohio. I'm really glad I stayed till the end for this one. In the studio today is your hosts, Mike Wilson and Joey Powell. Hello, Mike Amos. Hey, Joe. Good to see you. <laughs> that's all you got for me? Yeah, that's it for now. I'll get you back here in a little bit. Wow, that kind of hurt. <laughs> so uh, when we're listening here as we uh, go live and start recording the intro, I did the whole... With Mike Wilson and Joey Powell, and Mike just stares at me. So, Mike Amiss. Yes, sir. Sorry. Uh, first off, I think we need to apologize for everybody. It was too busy of a week last week. Right. We absolutely could not fit in the um, podcast. It was my fault. Uh, working until midnight, one o'clock last week, just about every night, working on trying to get the set ready, put together. And presentable for Elf Jr., which, Mike, guess what? We sold out all three performances. That is awesome. That is awesome. Yeah, so uh, about 450 people saw the show in three days. Um, That's how many seats we sold. Uh, We actually sold a few more than that. Uh, But it was a great time had by all. Uh, the cast was phenomenal. Randy Mann did a great job directing. A special thank you to Jamie Zeger. Aaron Whipple, Randy Spoon, Bethany Barton, Emily Levings, Jeremy Barr, and I think that's it. Then, of course, all the parents out there. Um, the, a lot of them stepped up and, and helped us out. It was it was awesome. It was a good time. We finally put away the last of the of some of the stuff. There's still a trailer full of stuff that has yet to be put away. Um, but you know it happens as you uh, you don't you don't own a space and you have to lease spaces. And uh, last night they moved the last little bit out of the handlebar. Are you ready for this? It was eight thirty last night. Oh wow! The show was over by four thirty. Well, the great thing is that the Mara Little Theater uh, allowed these young folks uh, an opportunity to see what it's like to be a part of a production like that, and and it's encouraging to see these young people out there that are interested in the acting and in the uh, performance uh, area. So uh, kudos to Mara little theater for uh, providing that service to our young folks. Well, thanks Mike. And I got to tell you one of the biggest uh, things that is a benefit for me that I love seeing is seeing the kids develop from show to show to show and see how they come out of their shell, how they become more, um, acclimated in large crowds or they learn that the differences in learning um, we have some kids i think that uh, will definitely be trying their hand at assistant directing in the future because yeah. you know they've just kind of found that love for theater so of course your son did not have to come out of his shell i'm sure uh actually he is a shy guy oh really he is it, he was the cutest darn elf though i gotta tell you that um he uh he loved it. He uh, had a great time. And I think for him, the coolest thing was is that uh, Buddy the Elf, played by Dalton Edwards, um, was his soccer coach. Okay. And he absolutely loved being able to be with Dalton in a different aspect. And uh, Dalton is a good kid, um, a great role model for the kids, and uh, somebody who is, I think he's 17. He might be 18 now. Um, that age and to be such a good role model is 
to be commended. So kudos to Dalton Edwards on that one. And Mike, you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, and we're going to talk about a lot of things, uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving, I think, coming up here. But wanted to share Christmas around the world, Morrow County Chamber of Commerce annual Christmas parade is Friday, December 2nd at 7 p.m. Stuff will be going on at the square from about 4.30 through... Uh, it's going to be a great time. The parade starts at seven. The parade, I think, is going to be probably the longest this year that it's ever been. Uh, it'll be a great time. After the parade, starting about eight o'clock, is going to be the murder, mayhem, and mystery. If you weren't able to do the walking tour in October for all but, I think, what one week, it was beautiful weather. Yeah, it was. Uh, I believe. It was four weeks it was done, I believe. Yeah, four weeks, but there was like one week it was rainy or something. But the other three weeks, it was beautiful weather. If you weren't able to do that, we're going to uh, have Robin Brucker live doing her presentation, uh, her and the team doing their presentation at the Capitol Theater. And it's going to be a good time. They, they're they asking for donations at the door, so we are opening our doors at Capitol Theater for that because that's going to be a great time. And that, I think, will last about 45 minutes. That's Yeah, the walking tour was about that, so I would say yes, probably. It'd probably be shorter because you're not walking so much, but it'll be a great time. And you're already there, so why not? Uh, Breakfast with Scrooge, oh, Chesterville oh, oh. Art back Series. Up, back up, back up. Another thing going on that night. Oh, yes. Ah, yeah, you better share that. <laughs> the Morrow County History Center will be open. Um, I'm not sure what time we're opening. <laughs> Four or five in the evening. I'm not really sure. But this will be the kickoff of the 2023 Morrow County Historical Society calendar. Which we just so happen to have yes, a copy do. here so, of. Uh, and this is pretty cool. There are uh, pictures from throughout the county in here. And um, they're $10 a piece. Uh, if you want to get them before that event, uh, stop in this Sunday at the History Center and be open from 2 to 4. Um, yeah, there's uh, there are pictures from Chesterville, uh, Cardington, Mount Gilead. Johnsville. Yeah, uh, Peru Township. Um, oh, the Bethel Cemetery in Sparta. Mount Gilead Public Square in um, the 1850s, I believe. Oh, here's the population. So the census, then yeah. and now, it shows. That's pretty cool. Um, oh, town of Whetstone, Governor Morrow. Yep. All kinds of fun stuff in here. And, Mike, I think I think we need to do this. Um, I think we need to call out some of the folks here who helped to make this, uh, this possible. What do you think? Some of the sponsors. My goodness, it's a long list. It is we- a long list. <laughs> they can take us the whole back page here. Yes, 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 they are. So some of them here is, are going to be Ag Credit, uh, Bosch Heating and Cooling, Brayman T- uh, Tire and Brake in Johnsville, Jamie Brucker, Robin Brucker, uh, Bunkers Mill and Winery there in Cardington, Burkhart Farm Center, Capitol Theater, Cardington Barbershop, Cardington Chiropractic LLC, Cardington Family Dental, the Cardington Cafe, Cedar Creek Barn, uh, Walker Family in Johnsville, Central Ohio Farmers Co-op. Am I reading that right? That's Clells. Clells. and rest- Restoration. Desmond. Uh, Earl Desmond, sorry. Edison Quick Stop. Tom and Megan Elkin. Embroidery Warehouse and Screen Printing. First Federal Bank of Ohio. Gump Funeral Service. Matt Griffith. Attorney of Law. Tom and Jane Griffith. Howard Hall. Uh, Ron Harper Realty. Hartman Printing Company. 
uh, Robin Sharon Hickson and family, uh, Hoffman Office Office Center, Charles and Hollis Howland, James Madison Insurance, Jenick and Company, uh, John Edwards, or I'm sorry, John Edwards, (laughs) Edward Jones, Jones, (laughs) Andy Bauer Financial Advisor, Keith Flower Shop, Gene Beck, Corner Clippers and Forever Tan in Edison, the Leavitt Group, Midwest, uh, John uh, David Jolin, Jolin, mm-hmm. uh, Legend Records. Mike, why don't you read the next line? Okay, let's go on with some more of the uh, sponsors of the Morrow County Historical Society calendar for 2023. Lubrication Specialties, yay. Uh, Maseko Tax, Maple Dell Farm, uh, Maple Run Veterinary Clinic, Mary Case Flowers, uh, Massage Lodge, uh, Carmel Cooper, Russ Mayer, McClellan Chiropractic, Lee Wayne McClellan, retired judge, Memory Lane Bread and Breakfast, Mid-Ohio Sanitation and Recycling, Richard and Patricia Miller, Morrow County Board of DD, Morrow County Bureau of Motor Vehicles, Morrow County Conservation Club, Morrow County Hospital, Morrow County Shoppers Compass, Morrow Little Theater, Newcomb, Walt and, or, Walt and Sandy Newcomb, Park National Bank, Keller Credit Union, RNG Muscular Therapy, Our Style Farm, the Roush family in Denmark, um, Sames and Cook, Dixie Shinneberry, Shinneberry Insurance, Snyder Funeral Home, Allen and Alberta Stakovic, Susie Q's in Cardington, Talk of the Town Beauty Salon, Transcraft Automotive, UIS Insurance and Investments, UJ Construction, Connie Watson, uh, the Real Estate Technologies Partners in Mount Gilead. And I think we covered all the uh, sponsors of this year's 2023 Morrow County Historical Society calendar. Thank you to all those from the president of the Historical Society. So while the president's reading the sponsors here, I want to take a moment to thank all the people who helped to make the Historical Society happen. And that is Mr. Mike Wilson here to my right. Kevin Evans, Dan Rodebeck, Phyllis Miller, Patty Fustel, Robin Brucker, Ellen McMurray, Barb Brewer, Stan Sipe. Uh, let's see here. Is it Myrna Wall? Is that how you say it? Myrna Wall? Myrna Wall, yes. Myrna Wall. Janet Rodebeck, Maggie Clark. Maggie Clark, um, yes. Let's see here. Okay. Sharon Kincaid. Thank you guys all very much for your uh, contribution of your time, which sometimes is more more beneficial to an organization than cash itself. So thank you guys very much. These um, look phenomenal. Mike, do you need another place to sell these? What did you have in mind? Well, I think that people could come into the Capitol Theater and buy them if they would like. Just don't get popcorn oil all over them. (laughs) Well, once they buy them, does it matter? No, I guess not. (laughs) Yes, that's true. If they take them. Uh, We can can put some over there. Yeah, we'd be more than happy to do that, I think. We could do that. Um, So let's move on from the calendar there. Breakfast with Scrooge is going on by Chesterville Arts Series, the Sullivan Public Library sponsor there. That is happening on Saturday, December the 3rd at 9 a.m., and I think that is going to actually take place at, yes, the Sullivan Public Library. Uh, you must register for the event, and you can register through their website calendar beginning November 17th. And you can look them up on Facebook. Ebenezer Scrooge has invited children to breakfast, but Mr. Scrooge has only agreed to host breakfast so that people will stop bothering him. Bah humbug. Yes, bah humbug indeed. 
All right, let's see here. We also have, coming up, Little Women. Mike, have you ever seen that show? I have never seen it or read the book. Well, Mount Gilead High School is putting that on starting Thursday, December 1st, going through the 3rd at the Mount Gilead High School. And it starts at 7 p.m. on December 1st and 2nd, and December 3rd at 11 a.m. Tickets are $5 at the door. And let's see here, that also is going to lead us into the Holiday Birch Planter from our friends down at, can you guess where? I'm going to guess Groovy uh, Groovy Plants. Yeah, it's going to be down there at Groovy Plants Ranch, our buddies down there, www.groovyplantsranch.com forward slash products forward slash holiday dash birch dash planter dash December dash 15th. Uh, you're going to, it looks really cool. We have shared this out. They have lots and lots. I shared many of the things. I'm only going to read that one, uh, because they had a whole bunch of stuff. They have a holiday thrift arama coming up as well. We talked about the Christmas parade, but Mike, we also need to talk about what's coming up sooner. And that is the Mount Gilead Merchants Association downtown days on Saturday, November 26th. That is coming up this Saturday, actually, Ooh. 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It'll be Small Business Saturday because it is the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And you're looking at me like you're curious I here. You didn't sure know? The Historical Society planning thing for that. Oh, I, well, uh, I think that slipped our uh, radar. Well, so they'll have it open. Remember that you do have Black Friday. Then you have Small Business Saturday. Then you have Cyber Monday. And then you have Giving Tuesday. Let's talk about Giving Tuesday. Mike and I hold two nonprofit uh, businesses here in the county um, near and dear to our hearts. The first being the Historical Society and the second being Mar Little Theater. If you have anything, $5, you know, that's, that's roughly a Starbucks coffee. If you would be willing to give a Starbucks coffee once a month, um, to the Historical Society or to Mara Little Theater. Uh, it will be put to good use. Neither one of these organizations uh, pay employees. Um, you know, it's, it's all donations. That's how we do what we do. Um, there are many, many other organizations in Morrow County doing great work that you could give to. These two are just two that we hold near and dear to our hearts. Um, but there's the United Way uh, as another one. Uh, that uh, is out there in the community. Um, there are several others. Of course, your school's PTO or PTA, depending on what the organization calls it. Um, there's a lot, a lot of good, good programs that could utilize anything you'd be willing to give. So spend some time and do that. And it would be much benefit, uh, much beneficial. And if it's local, like United Way or some of these others, it is kept here, and the folks benefit locally, which is another huge plus. Um, on December third, Mike, at sa- uh, it's a Saturday at eleven a.m. The Marengo Christmas in the Village celebration and parade, and there's a cool picture here of the uh, Highland Marching Band. So they'll be having their fourth annual Christmas in Marengo celebration with various activities held at the old firehouse across the United Methodist Church and ending with the Christmas parade and tree lighting in the park. So that looks like that's going to be a good time on their fourth annual. And I think, oh, Mike, here's the last one that I'm going to share also on uh, Saturday, December 3rd at starting at noon. And this one's in Worthington, but there's a reason that I'm sharing it. Has a local tie, Roger Meyer. You know who Roger Meyer is? 
Oscar's brother? <laughs> no, Roger is a former Mount Gilead police officer, I believe. I don't think he's an pl- active police officer right now. Uh, but he also runs, um, I think, EMS, and he's a funeral uh, director as well, or has a license. He's a licensed funeral director. The man is a jack of all trades, for sure. Um, but he's a phenomenal, um, a phenomenal guy. And wanted to share with you, he is working with a group um, and I think this goes back to the Ohio Railway Museum, which is why I'm bringing this up. So it's another group that is worrying, uh, working on preserving history. And on Saturday, December 3rd, from 2 to 4, you can do letters to Santa. Come and join them. On, come and join them on Saturdays and Sundays starting December 3rd through December 18th from noon to 4 for letters uh, to Santa. Mrs. Claus will be at the museum to greet all the children. Write a letter to Santa in our railroad post office car. Enjoy the crafts and take a relaxing trolley ride down the main line. You even get a free picture with Mrs. Claus. Uh, let's see here. Cost is $10 per person. Or, yeah, per person. Children three and under are free. No pre-sale tickets for this event. All tickets are to be purchased at the depot at the ticket counter upon arrival. Um, I thought that would be really cool. The address there is 990 Proprietors Road in Worthington. It is a little bit of a drive, but I did want to share that because it does have a local tie. And I've seen that Roger has uh, really taken a shine to that group and wanted to share that uh, to benefit. So, Actually, I've had him on my radio show before now that you mentioned that. So I've talked to this man before. I know who you're talking about. Okay. All right. Well, what else, What do you got? Do you have anything well, you want to share? Well, one thing... Um, we need to find the information for the uh, Cardington um, Parade. Oh, Christmas. let me look while but, you're talking. Uh, one of the things going on in Cardington is uh, December 1st is Toy Bingo. Uh, doors open at 515. Bingo starts at 630. Uh, let's see. Ten regular bingo prizes valued over $50. Two coverall bingo prizes valued at $150. Uh, only adults over 18 are allowed. Um, if you do have a pre-K and up, you're invited over to the firehouse for movies and crafts while you play bingo. You can take your kids over there. For more information, you can call 419-864-6981. And this is Toy Bingo. Um, they're getting money to help Santa get the toys that are needed to uh, take care of the kids in the community. Uh, there will be lots of raffles. Uh, food for purchase by the Women's Auxiliary Post 97. That is at the uh, American Legion Post right there in Cardington, right next to the park or right next to the um, firehouse, actually. So uh, that's December 1st. Keep that in mind. Did you find the information on the... uh, So I'm looking here, and the only thing that I can find is information about Toy Bingo on December 1st. Yes, I can't find anything about their parade that is I that can't Thursday. Either. That's interesting because I know the information's out there. Um, they did talk about some of the details. So go on Facebook, and there is a, actually a video from Leanne Maseko. So maybe she talks about the details in that video, uh, and we're just not watching that video live. So um, if, by chance, you need anything from Cardington area for their holiday parade, which I believe is Thursday, December 1st, Get in touch with them uh, via Facebook. And, um, oh, Mike, here's the, here's the other one that's coming up. 
So this year, Consolidated Electric is helping to sponsor uh, Flying Horse Farms Light Up the Camp. I don't know if you have gotten a chance to go to that. I've not been out there, but I want to get there this year. It is a good time. And actually, it does not take you as long. Like, you're thinking, oh, this line is forever long. It is actually a good time. And then also, we have the Festival of Trees going on from Thursday, December 1st through Sunday, December 4th. And that's going to be down at the old C&D Chevrolet building, also known as 911 currently. And you'll be able to drive through. Most of those trees have been purchased by sponsors, and they have decorated them, their businesses or groups around Morrow County. And uh, I believe those trees will be up for auction well, at the will, end of that. Uh, there will be, I'll, I'll read what they have here. All right. There will be uh, 16 beautifully decorated Christmas trees donated by local businesses to be raffled off. Additionally, there will be a wreath auction on Sunday, December 4th. Local elementary and high school musical groups will be performing, and there will be a community sing-along following the parade Friday evening. Light refreshments will be offered for sale as well as commemorative ornaments and T-shirts. And we might actually know who uh, designed those ornaments. Oh, yeah, I know who. <laughs> oh, a lot of our people out there listening know, know that as well. So um, stop in for that. Again, that's December... First through the fourth, right? Yes. yes. Yep. Um, all right, Mike. I think that's going to do it for this. So let's talk a little turkey, shall we? All right. Well, let's not that's do that. kind all of right. a foul subject. Um, so this is from time.com, and this is uh, the story about why we eat turkey on Thanksgiving. As Americans sit down to supper this Thanksgiving, the centerpiece of their celebratory dinners will most likely be a turkey. Why exactly the turkey has been the star of Turkey Day since at least the mid-19th century is a matter of much debate, particularly given the uh, conscious uh, uh, consensus against historians that the pilgrims and the Native Americans probably didn't focus on the bird at the first Thanksgiving in 1621. Some give credit for the turkey's uh, preeminence to Sarah Joseph Hale, the godmother of Thanksgiving, whose accounts of early, of early New England celebrations emphasized a roast turkey and eventually became the model for the festivities adopted by the rest of the country after Abraham Lincoln declared it a national holiday in 1863. Others credit the bird's exist, uh, existing role in English celebratory feasts and the fact that its large size made it a practical item for such affairs. Others still believe that it is because the turkey's, uh, the turkey's position as the most American of feathered creatures, Benjamin Franklin, after all, thought it much more respectable bird than the bald eagle, makes it a fitting entree for one of, the, of America's most American holidays. Uh, how exactly did the, the uh, turkey? Uh, how exactly the turkey arrived at our forefathers' tables is much less of a mystery. The turkeys walked there. Many have been the tales of the great cattle drives. Hardly anyone remembers the great turkey walks, recounts Arthur Kathleen Carr in her book *The Great Turkey Walk*. And indeed, the antebellum America, a pair, a parade of thousands of turkeys gobbling their way down country roads to urban markets was a regular sight in the weeks before thanksgiving vermont turkeys hiked their way to boston 
Kentucky and Tennessee turkeys marched proudly into Richmond, and some western birds even found themselves driven the thousands of miles between Missouri and Colorado. The task of the turkey dro- of the turkey drover was the individuals who herded the turkeys on these journeys, and they were known as they were known. Uh, it was not an easy road. Roads in the eight, late eighteen and nineteenth centuries in the United States were generally pretty bad, and accounts of the great turkey drives recall the flocks bravely fording streams and climbing rocky hills or flying over lakes and rivers at least a mile across. In such conditions, according to one contemporary observer, the birds were apt to crowd together and trample each other to death. That's, that, that, that just, I'm trying to picture this, and it is cracking me up here. Um, should the birds become frightened, as turkeys are very are very uh, want to do because they, you know, like to stampede type thing and get away from each other. They actually, a, a cattle stampede was a tamer affair for them. That's what they said. The turkey stampede was very much more violent than a cattle stampede. Wow. The much, the long march of the turkeys was a slow business as well with flocks typically ambling at a top speed of one mile per hour. If a drover were lucky, Throwing out enough corn and applying enough guidance with his long pole topped with a red piece of cloth said to strike fear in the heart of even the most quarrelsome of turkeys, a turkey drove could cover 20 miles in a single day. Each night, it was the particular habit of the turkeys to roost in adjacent trees and bushes until the following morning. Once the turkey took the inclination to settle down, an experienced drover knew that nothing would induce them to continue the march to the slaughter slaughtering pens. I thought that was a pretty cool little story to share, and uh, there's a little bit more here, not much, uh, but nothing in a real detail uh, as to why um, you know we eat turkey. Um, but I I thought it was interesting that they used to have turkey drives or um, what do they call that the tur- the Turkey trot, as okay. as it might have been called back in the day. Um, so anyway, there you go. That's uh, that's one story, and I have another one that we'll talk about when we go back in time to history. Okay. Do you know? And this isn't a joke. Do you the know Muffin Man. What's that? The Muffin Man. No. Oh, to say I do <laughs> know the Muffin Man. Lane, but yeah. Do you know what that thing's called uh, on the male turkey that hangs down below there? His waddle. Yes. Yes. You knew that. I did. You know the purpose of the waddle. I don't. Okay. Well, we will take care of that mystery in your mind right now. Well, it's only there now because you put it there. Go ahead. Why have a waddle? That word itself makes me laugh. Waddles are an adaptive feature that comes in handy in, in several ways. On a hot day with the sun bearing down, the bare skin of neck and waddle helps release excess heat. Birds don't sweat. They can't sweat. So the turkey is otherwise trapped in its dense, dark feathers. Waddles have other roles to play. When the male turkey gets to courting the hens, the waddle takes center stage. Extra blood rushes in, and the waddle uh, glows bright, (laughs) bright scarlet for maximum visual impact. If a predator appears, sparking a moment of fear, the blood may retract from the waddle, turning it blue. 
Many birds have wattles, including some storks, plovers, pleasants, or pheasants, bellbirds, <laughs> bellbirds, and, and other birds as well. Um, are they pretty? In the right bird's eye, no doubt. So there you go. Uh, the purpose of the wattle. I was surprised you knew what that was called. Well, I'm not stupid. Well, I didn't I mean, say I mean, that. I may look stupid, but I'm not well, stupid. Well, it looks on everything, you know. Yeah, I We know. overlook that for you. Joe. We both have a Joe. face for radio. Yeah, we do. All right. So, Turkey Day. Mike, you got plans for Turkey Day? Uh, yes. Good. Good, good. We have... Uh, <laughs> this year's going to be a little different for us, and I'm excited about that. We've got a Thanksgiving on Thursday, and then we're going to my in-laws on Saturday so we can watch the game. And uh, IO, it's going to be a good game. I, uh, after the way they played on Saturday, it's going to be a really good game. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be really good. It's going to be down rivalry. to the last minute. And we're going to talk about why it's such a big rivalry after Mike talks. Well, did you did you want to know what I'm doing on Thanksgiving? Yeah, what are you doing? I, kinda, I didn't think you were going to share when I asked I, you if you had plans. Well, you know, I, I'm shy. <laughs> I'm sorry, you and Shy in the same sentence. Nah. I'm going to my cousin's up at, um, oh, shoot, I can't think of a little town up there, the other, uh, north of uh, Bucyrus. Um, Cary? <laughs> what is it? Cary? No, not that far. Tyro? No, not that far. Uh, um, on the other side of Bucyrus? Yeah, just a little ways up there, and I can't think the name of it. Huh. I'll think of it later. Yeah. And I'll share it with you. Well, don't shout it out in the middle. But they've got a big farm. They They, they have... They have cows, they have pigs, they have horses. And Are they, you going to have to kill your own dinner? <laughs> they, also, they also raise hops. Oh, nice. Yeah. So are you going to get to sample some beer while you're there? <laughs> Probably could if I wanted to. But <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like you're going to have a good time. I know we're going to have a good time. I'm super excited about the holiday season. Yeah. I, you know, I like it. And actually, I took the week off work. Oh, good for you. I had already scheduled off, but it's been such a long week. And, you know, I I spent today with the girls. It was just me and the girls. It was kind of nice. They went to school. I picked them up after school. It was it was nice. Yeah. Cool. So, and let, let me say something else about that. Um, I went to a local place here and ordered a cheese tray. Folks, if you can, get yourself, lo- yourself get your stuff, I'm sorry, your supplies for the holiday locally, and get you and get yourself locally too, and take care of, you know, and and, and support some of our local folks. Yeah, um, some uh, there are several places where you can get cheese trays and charcuterie uh, boards and the stuff for those. Something like a checkerboard, kind of, okay. not quite. Unless you, well, never mind. We won't go there. Um, so anyway, Mike, yes, sit back, buckle your safety belt. Put on your safety glasses. I can't get around my belly. <laughs> Loosen it. <laughs> Here we go. Three, two, one. The flashback is brought to you by the Morrow County Historical Society. Now open every Sunday from 2 to 4 p.m. Stop in and learn about Morrow County's past. All right, Mr. Mike. What are we doing um, as far as uh, our history talk? Because it's been a week. Yeah. It's so two, two weeks. weeks ago, we had done the second installment on uh, electrification of Morrow County uh, rural areas. And I think I'm going to uh, uh, end it with today's. So we're going to talk more about that. But it's so fascinating how things change so quickly with the introduction of electricity to the farms. 
think of it. The the women didn't have to use wash tubs anymore to to scrub their clothes. You could, you know, have a washing machine. You didn't have to heat up the iron to iron your clothes. Uh, there were electric milk machines. That was easier on your hands as well as probably for the cows as well. I, I can only imagine. But um, such a change in Morrow County when electricity came into the rural areas. Uh, again, Stan Sipe uh, did this research, and I'm reading what Stan has written. So we're going to pick it up here. Nearly half of the 2,640 farms in Morrow County enjoyed the benefits of electricity by mid-1940. These consumers had purchased more than $100,000 worth of electrical appliances in the preceding two years. A survey revealed that 85% of these local farm homes owned automatic washing machines. Next in popularity were irons, toasters, and vacuum cleaners. 20% of the homes contained refrigerators. Only 6% had electric ranges. And nearly everyone had a radio. All of the purchases were a boon to the county's appliance dealers. Even Sears. Sears Roebuck and Company opened an appliance store in Mount Gilead in 1938 when the rural power was turned on. The survey by the local co-op surprisingly revealed that the market for electrically operated farm equipment was even greater than the market for domestic appliances. It was also during this year that Co-op Power News, a monthly publication of Morrow Rural Electric, was instituted. The Rural Electrification Administration, in connection with the United States Film Service, produced a uh, 40-minute documentary film, Power and the Land, that was released in November 1940. The film, shot in Belmont County, depicted life as a typical farm before and after electricity. No actors were used. Instead, the family that owned the farm was used in its production. The film crew spent the summer and fall months on the Parkinson Dairy Farm, documenting their daily routines, first without and then with rural electrification. The production showed the actual residents of rural St. Clarisville working together to form their own electric cooperative and then bringing the power to their farms. The critically acclaimed documentary was screened in Mount Gilead at the Capitol Theater on December 5, 1940. Admittance was free to nearly 750 who watched the movie that was sponsored by Morrow Rural Electric Co-op. World War II all but curtailed new connections of electrical service as copper wiring was diverted to the military. However, in 1943, the War Production Board uh, began approving new farm hookups under certain guidelines for those producing food for the war effort. The WPB okayed the application of a dairy farmer near Pulaskiville for service with electricity to power his automatic milker. He shipped more than 180 gallons of milk to market daily. Another local farmer received a WPB permit for rural service after his, he submitted his plan to raise 3,600 chickens on his 30-acre farm. Aided by rural electrification, Morrow County's farmers were lauded by the federal government for their outstanding food production efforts in the war effort during 1944. At the time of the 25th anniversary of the Rural Electrification Administration in 1960, 
Morrow Rural Electric Cooperative Incorporated provided service to more than 2,300 consumers. The utility maintained more than 500 miles of power lines in Morrow, Knox, Richland, and Delaware counties. Ten employees worked under manager Howard Clapper, who was a businessman in Mount Gilead, I do believe, at that time. Mary Rebecca, what's that? He had a pumpkin farm. Oh, okay. Too, down by the soccer fields. Oh. Mary Rebecca attorney uh, Sipe lived without electricity for 71 of her 88 years. Many of those years were spent on farms. It wasn't until October of 1947 that she lived in a home with electricity. That's when she and her husband, Arthur, had power installed after they had become members of Morrow Rural Electric Co-op. Their 28-acre Harmony Township farm was located on Morrow County Road 23. Although her great-grandson doesn't know for certain, he's pretty sure that Mary's first appliance purchase was a radio. So why a radio? While those living in Cardington or Mount Gilead may have looked upon the radio solely as a means of entertainment, farmers relied upon the wireless for the betterment of their economic status. The radio provided market and weather reports. Radio networks broadcast practical farming advice. Radio provided the farmer's wife with information on diet, food, food preparation, clothes, and even child psychology. Not only were farms hooked up to REA power, but so were rural schools, churches, and businesses. With rural electrification, farmers like Mary and Arthur Sipe were no longer regarded as second-class citizens. And the rest, as they say, is history. So by that time, most of Morrow County's uh, rural area was electrified. So, Well, that is, uh, I think that's pretty cool. The, the fact that we um, had to go through... The time without electric here is just amazing to me. And the fact that we were able to get it with a small group of people focusing on and building that, that, I think that's just awesome. So, Mike, I wanted to share with you the next part here of what I wanted to share as a history is it is also Ohio State-Michigan week. Uh, wanted to share the rivalry and why it became such a rivalry. Few rivalries in sports are as heated and heralded as the rivalry between Ohio State and Michigan. And this is on battlefields.org. You can find this. It is considered so important that college football fans refer to it only as the game. While most state and sport rivalries come from arbitrary, often insignificant reasons, such as a relative proximity or athletic conference, the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry's roots are a part of animosities, which started with a land, with a 1835 land dispute, which turned violent, known as the War of Toledo. The conflict only had one victim, an injured sheriff. However, the war was built on deep divisions and threatened a total civil war between Ohio and the Michigan Territory. Like most conflicts, the Toledo War began with poor um, cartography. The, con- the Congress, I'm sorry, um, I got contacts this week, Mike. 
<laughs> and uh, my eyes are still getting used to them, so some of the stuff sometimes gets blurry when I blink. Uh, the Congress of the Confederate Confederation enacted the Northwest Ordinance of 1787. The ordinance set out plans for settling the area around the Great Lakes. The ordinance established uh, that the border between Ohio and Michigan would be an east and west line drawn through the southerly southerly bend or extreme of lake michigan until it intersected with lake erie however the maps the confederation used inaccurately placed lake michigan's southern tip miles north of its actual location the original border gave ohio the future site of toledo rather than michigan when it completed with its accurate maps michigan would receive the same area Ohio was admitted to the Union in 1803. In constructing their state constitution, the authors intentionally defended their claim on the land. The document argued that even in future surveys found the original Northwest Ordinance incorrect. They would base their border on the original ordinance. Michigan challenged this, and two separate land surveys were conducted. Both came to opposite conclusions about the land. These surveys created a 468-square-mile slice of property on the border of the two states claimed by both states known then as the Toledo Strip. The Toledo Strip would be precious to either colony as it included the Maumee Bay. Whoever controlled the bay would command a great deal of trade on the Great Lakes, along with the 1812 completion of the Erie Canal granting trade access to the East Coast. In early 1835, the relatively civil conflict became hot. Ohio Governor Robert Lucas set up legislation to create government within the Strip. The Michigan Territory was refused statehood because of the dispute and elected 23-year-old hot-headed Stevens T. Mason to be their first governor. Responding to Ohio's aggression, Mason passed the Pains and Penalties Act, which harshly punished all officials from Ohio who tried to control the territory with jail time or hefty fines. Both sides promptly raised their militias and instructed them to act against trespassers. President Andrew Jackson desperately wanted to prevent an armed conflict. He sent two officials to broker a compromise. The official's proposal recommended that representatives from Ohio should resurvey the land and allow citizens on the border to choose their governments. While Lucas agreed to the deal, Mason refused and prepared for war. Lucas believed that Michigan would accept the agreement and sent surveyors to mark the border while dismissing his militia. Fifty members of the Michigan militia attacked the surveyor on April 26, 1835, while the group only fired shots into the air to scare the surveyors. The assaulting force captured nine of them. The altercation became known as the Battle of Phillips Corner. After the Battle of Phillips Corner, many Ohioans believed that Michigan had fired upon the surveyors and began clamoring for war. Lucas, to appease the citizens, established Toledo as the county seat of his 
infamous Lucas County preventing, uh, I'm sorry, infamous Lucas County preventing the abduction of Ohio citizens and insulting Michigan. The plan had a budget of $300,000. Michigan one up the Ohioans, providing 315000 to their militia. Lucas continued the tit, the tit for tat, one upping, gathering 10,000 volunteers for the Ohio militia. However, rumors spread to Michigan, and the story became exaggerated. One Michigan newspaper dared the million soldiers to enter Michigan so they could welcome them to hospitable graves. Throughout the year, there were constant skirmishes between the two sides and random artists or arrests, random art, random arrests of citizens leaving with living within the strip. Sheriff Joseph Wood of Michigan went into Toledo to arrest prominent members of the Ohio militia. There was a short skirmish and Wood was stabbed multiple times with a penknife. The injuries were minor. But this would be the first and only bloodshed of the war. The next year, Jackson proposed a compromise to the citizens of Michigan. They would be granted statehood if they would give up the Toledo Strip. In addition to statehood, Michigan would also receive the Upper Peninsula. Michigan refused the offer due to the perceived lack of value of the Upper Peninsula. However, by the end of 1863, Michigan was was nearing bankruptcy. Luckily, the federal... Luckily, the federal government was completely in the process of distributing a $400,000 plus or minus surplus. However, Michigan could only access this money and relieve its debt crisis by becoming a state. In a controversial act of desperation, Michigan accepted Jackson's initial compromise on December 14th of 1836, even though the war had had even though the war only drew one casualty and seemed solved in 1836, the conflict continued through, the, through each state's history, creating a permanent rivalry. There were constant debates over the border, even after the deal had been made. The border was not officially mapped and defined until President Woodrow Wilson ordered the border surveyed in 1915. After the survey was complete, the governors of Michigan and Ohio met on the border and shook hands and unveiled a plaque which quoted Robert Frost proclaiming, good fences make good neighbors. Even after it was firmly set, the two states still quabbled. In 1978, the two states went before the Supreme Court to argue over their uh, competing claims to the Lake Erie waters. The court sided with Ohio's state constitution. Since 1978, the border had remained the same. Um, the border has remained the same, and neither state has raised the militia. Uh, it says here, it must be noted how much preservation has played into these two sides' continued recognition of the events of the Toledo War. From the governors of both states coming together to acknowledge their shared past in 1915 and the state of Ohio officially recognizing and protecting the site of the Battle of Phillips Corner in 2002. Ohio and Michigan have preserved their rivalry and, more importantly, their history by remembering the past. The first football game between Michigan and Ohio State was held in 1897. The Toledo War was still fresh on the mind of many. Michigan exacted some revenge for the loss of Toledo by beating Ohio State 34 to nothing. 
Today, Michigan and Ohio State is considered one of the best sports rivalries in the world, and few know it is based on the the animosity that once could have split the union. And on that, I say, OH! I-O. I-O. All right, Mike Miss, that's all I've got. I wanted to read that. I found that. I thought it was really cool and wanted to share that uh, little bit of history. All right, you ready? Let's go back. Let's go. All right, Mike Miss, we are back. Present day, History Society has their... Um, their uh whatchamajiggers the calendars out sorry lost track of words there and uh it's thanksgiving week i think it only fitting to say happy thanksgiving enjoy time with family uh don't get arrested (laughs) sometimes family events can lead to that don't get arrested uh enjoy your time remember that uh, sometimes family is the most important thing so take time and spend some time with family mike any oh, parting yes. wisdom? By the way, he's talking about family. The place where I'll be spending Thanksgiving is Chatfield. The speed trap known as Chatfield. Finally came back to me. The speed trap known oh, as Chatfield. Is it really? Okay. Yes. It drops to like, I think, 45 there. Okay. And the stadies sit right in there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Keep that in um, mind. Yeah. So, uh, all right, Mike. I think that's it. Do you have anything else you want to share today? Um, a couple things. Uh, people, you know, people who take care of chickens... They are literally chicken tenders. Warning. Warning. Sorry, guys. Warning. I kind of missed, missed that a little, a little bit. A little late on the button there, Warning. huh, Joey? Warning. Yes. Warning. Sorry about that. People who take care of chickens are literally chicken tenders. Yes, yes. I am a chicken tender. Yes. Um, let me ask you a question. What does a thesaurus eat for breakfast? <laughs> I have no idea. Synonym rolls. Oh my goodness gracious! I can't even say that. How 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 did you say that? Synonym. <laughs> synonym. Yeah. There's two words. Cinnamon. Synonym. I I couldn't say cinnamon for the longest time. And and one one last thought. Um, uh, Bob has 34 candy bars. Yes. He eats 29. Yes. What does he have? I know what he has. Same thing I do. Uh, diabetes. There you go. Diabetes. <laughs> yes. I said it like. Uh, what was his name? Uh, Wilford Brimley. Yeah, the diabetes test and supply guy. All right, anything else? Any other jokes? Oh, uh, well, you know, I'll ask you this too. Uh, where does a dog go when he when he loses his tail? I don't know. A toy retail store. Okay, that's All enough. right, folks, on enough that of note. my goodness for the day. Happy uh, Thanksgiving. We'll see you back here in another week. Till then, be nice, be good to each other, be kind, give grace, happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you then. Later. Ta-ta!